Well, we are at the book of Daniel again, coming back to the series we started some month ago now. And this is a very special part of the book, chapter 4. You know, the book of Daniel has 12 chapters. And as I was looking at the whole book, I realized something which I did not pay too much attention before. That four chapters out of the twelve, which is one-third of the whole content of the book, practically deal with one person. So the first four chapters of Daniel are practically explaining what happened in the time of Nebuchadnezzar that takes us back to 605 B.C. Think about that. That's 2,600 years. And this man was a great ruler. We know from history that he ruled for 43 years. He had some ups and downs in his life. And if you want to summarize what happened in the last, um, the first three chapters of Daniel, then we understand something that in chapter 1, God gave him power over his own chosen people. And the Bible says that God gave the king in his hand, and he was able to take some of the treasures of the temple back to his own kingdom and put it in the treasure house of his own gods, which raised the question in some that who is the real God? Who is the God of history? Or has God forsaken his own people? Well, he should have responded to God with a thankful heart, but instead he changed the names of these young people, including Daniel. And as you know, the name Daniel means God is my judge. And he was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal protect his life, meaning the king's life. And you know the name of Nebuchadnezzar? That means May Nabu. There was another uh, god in the in the Babylonian Empire, Nabu. Protect the sun. So he, it was probably given by his father. And try to imagine that this man carrying his name, Nebuchadnezzar, May Nabu, protect the sun. He is giving a new name to Daniel. Instead of pointing to the judgment of God, he is saying Baal, there was another um, Babylonian god, protect the king's life. So instead of acknowledging God, Nebuchadnezzar went a little too far. What about chapter 2? In chapter 2, we find an interesting dream. The king had a dream about his future, but he forgot the, the dream. So he was asking his magicians and his wise men to explain the dream and then tell him the, all the details of that dream. Nobody could do it except Daniel. 
And then at the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar stepped a little forward in his faith. And then he acknowledged God, saying that he is the revealer of secrets. And he is the most powerful of all gods. But he did not come to the full knowledge and understanding of God. Then, if you remember chapter 3, last time we talked about chapter 3, about the fiery furnace. And the king had a claim, who is the God whom you worship, who can liberate you or protect you in that fiery furnace? And finally, the king acknowledged And he went even further in his faith. He said, blessed be the God. There is no other God who can deliver like this. And interestingly enough, uh, Ellen White makes some comments in Prophets and Kings, page 515. And I'd like to read a few sentences from from that book. Because chapter 4 is telling us the last piece of an information about the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Ellen White is making a comment on page 515. Uh, This is uh, Prophets and Kings. The title of the whole chapter is True Greatness. And so she is writing, It is not surprising that the successful monarch, so ambitious and so proud-spirited, should be tempted to turn aside from the path of humility, which alone leads to true greatness. In the intervals between his wars of conquest, he gave much thought to the strengthening and beautifying of his capital, until at length the city of Babylon became the chief glory of his kingdom, the golden city, the praise of the whole earth. His passion as a builder and his signal success in making Babylon one of the wonders of the world, and as you probably know from history or from lexicons, that the hanging gardens of Babylon, the city of Babylon, was part of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I I did a little research and I understood that King Nebuchadnezzar had a wife. He came from Persia uh, in a mountainous area. And so he wanted to simulate something like that. So he built hanging gardens and he had slaves working day and night with the irrigation system. So this beautiful garden, the so-called hanging gardens, were really bringing this princess or his wife, the king's wife, to his home and give him, give her a feeling that she's at home. And we know from history also that the city was beautifully built. It had about 250,000 inhabitants. Food stored up for a whole year. So it was almost an invincible city. 
And of course, he built temples to his gods. And he had a strange feeling that better than this could never come. So we move to chapter 4 now and see how things develop in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. So please come to chapter 4 and read something which was another surprise to me as I understood. Daniel chapter 4, I'm reading the first three verses, then verses 4 to 6, then verse 18. We won't read the whole chapter, just part, because it's a very, very long chapter. But Daniel 4 is essential in understanding the whole concept of the book of Daniel. So Daniel 4 and verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. So who is writing this chapter? First person singular is not Daniel. But it says Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought... That's the writing of the king, first person singular. So this is a very unique part of the whole book of Daniel because King Nebuchadnezzar has written that chapter, that part. And what did he say? I thought it good, verse 2, to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. What did he say? He is growing in his understanding of God. He is saying that the most high God has worked for me. Verse 3. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Why did he build a statue of gold in chapter 3. Because he wanted his empire to stay forever. And now he's saying something different. He says how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is and that's the only kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. So this king had to understand something. That God is guiding human history. And not human genius is the one who is controlling human history. And then if you go to verse 4, 4 to 6, he said something. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house. And flourishing in my palace, palace, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the vision of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in 
And I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar. So he was still referring to this name that Baal protect the king or his life, which he gave to Daniel. So in his mind, he was still thinking of this attitude that he is changing things, changing names, and maybe changing history. But at last, verse 8, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. So his Baal was one of his gods. According to the name of my God, in him is the... And this is another interesting development in his spiritual journey. He said, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. And no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So there is another point we need to remember. First of all, he's writing his own experience. He's writing down his own experience in first person singular. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Second thing we need to remember is, which shows the development of his understanding of God. He said that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Talking about Daniel. And this is a repeated statement because he is saying the same thing in verse 8 and in verse 9. He's repeating it twice. Then if you turn the page to Verse 18, it says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Three times within this Chapter, he is repeating the same thing. The presence of the Holy Spirit can be felt. And I think there is a lesson for all of us, at least in that part of the story. Because if the Spirit of God is in us, wherever we go, even to a pagan environment like this, it will have an effect on those who are living there. Even though they don't really understand everything about God, they would sense something. That the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. You know, if we had time, we we could go back to Genesis 41, 38 where the Egyptian pharaoh said something similar about Joseph. And he said, I need to trust in this man because he is so wise and the Spirit of God is in him. 
And even in the book of Daniel, if you turn the page to chapter 5, to the next chapter, other rulers of the Babylonian Empire acknowledge the same thing. If you go to uh, chapter 5, verse 11, for instance, This is about Belshazzar, the very last king. And the queen, queen is talking to this man. And then she is saying that this is a man, verse 11, in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. So the mother of the king is talking. Saying that there is a man, I know, I remember him. And in him there is the spirit of the Holy God. And then verse 14, the same chapter. The king, King Belshazzar is talking. And he says in verse 14, I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Unfortunately, that other king, Belshazzar, did not accept the guidance given by God. But he acknowledged something. That I heard and I see that the Spirit of God is in you and you have light, you have understanding, you have excellent wisdom. Even if you turn the page to chapter 6, it's amazing. Because there is another empire coming up. The Medo-Persian Empire. And if you go to chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, the satraps, uh, because the excellent spirit was in him. So this Daniel, who had the guidance of the Spirit of God, had a little hard time to explain this dream. But this dream was another message from God to King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm just going, I, I will skip a few verses uh, in chapter 4, but let's go to chapter, uh, verse 19. Beginning with verse 19, we will find the dream as well as the explanation, so I'm not reading the dream twice. But the first part of, of the chapter is dealing with the dream itself, and the explanation is the interesting part. So let's go to chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> and I'm reading all the way to verse 26. Then Daniel, whose name was Bel- Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king, the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. So there was a kind of hesitancy how to explain this dream. Then he is explaining it, in ver- beginning in verse 20. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, 
whose height reached the heavens and which could be seen all by by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king. There was the part when Daniel became kind of hesitant because he said, it should concern those who hate you. Your enemies. But it was about the king. But this prophet was faithful to God and he said, It is you, O king, verse 22, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens. And your dominion to the end of the earth. Was that correct? Was he really so powerful? Well, we know something from history. Although the subsequent uh, empires following the Babylonian became larger and larger in territory. But when it comes to human achievement, genius, building things, organizing a huge empire, and the wealth they could accumulate, Babylon was number one. And before I continue, I need to tell you something. Babylon is a very special name. Because we have a similar name, Babel, in Genesis chapter 11, and the Tower of Babel. And this Hebrew term Babel means confusion. But Babylon was another term. There was a Babylonian term which meant the gate of God. And this this name Babylon occurs in the very last part of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, symbolizing something which might be another interest of us to study. But it seems that this king really had everything he was dreaming of. He had power. And uh, the prophet said, You have grown, become strong. Your greatness has grown. And now it reaches to the heavens. And you have dominion over almost the whole world. But there was something else in the dream. Verse 23. And inasmuch as the king saw the watcher, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band, band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times passes over him. There was an interesting part 
of this dream. And he's giving the interpretation in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. You shall wet, they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he chooses. And verse 26, and inasmuch as they give the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. What is this? Seven times? Seven years? Yes, seven years. Why is that so interesting? You know number six. And the mathematical system based on six you know we have 60 minutes in an hour. Where do you think this division comes from? It comes from the Babylonians. If you have the circle, we have 360 degrees in a circle, which is a multiplication of 60. Where does that uh, picture come from? Or this conclusion, where does it come from? From the Babylonians. So 2,600 years ago, these men knew quite a bit. And they constructed beautiful buildings. They were powerful engineers. Perfect builders. But they, they sticked to number six. When it comes to the book of Revelation, you will find in chapter 13 the number 666 related to Babylon. So when it comes to number 6, that's the number of Babylon. When it comes to number 7, that's the number of of God. So just by giving this man seven years to think, there was a teaching about numbers. If you like numbers. Do you like numbers? I do. <laughs> Sometimes you can play your own numbers, but these are beautiful numbers, six and seven. Six is very important because God created humans in his own image on the sixth day. But he blessed the seventh, seventh day. So that's why we talk about six point one day creation. Do you understand this? Six point, uh, six plus one, sorry, six plus one day creation. So number seven is God's number. So what happened to this man? Well, this huge tree symbolized his kingdom and him as a king. He grew huge. And he was controlling everything. 
because it said that the leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant. It was food for all. He was a powerful provider. He was a very rich man. So Daniel was hesitant to interpret this dream because he said, something is going to happen to you, king. And then if you go back to chapter 4, verse 27, Daniel, by inspiration, gave some good advices to this king. It says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. If we had time to go to the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's exactly what the prophet is telling this king, who was one of the most powerful rulers in whole human history. And so he's saying that if you want to put off the judgment, the divine judgment in your life, then you need to do justly. You need to love mercy. You need to walk humbly. That was the hard part for this king. But God was merciful to him for another year. And that's an interesting part also because we need to remember that whenever God proclaims judgment, he is always delaying it a little bit to giving more time. So that's what happened uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And let's read the rest of this story. Beginning in verse 28, all the way to 33. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12th month. So God added another year to this king to think. So at the end of the 12th month, month, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? What was this? I am the most powerful man in, in the world. But I am building this empire for my own glory. I have built it for the royal dwelling by my mighty power and for my own honor. Well, that was the point when God decided to execute the judgment. And verse 30, 31 says, While the world was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from man, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. 
They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times, meaning seven years, shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from man and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So what happened to this king? In that moment, in the moment when he was almost believing that I am God, And I am beyond everyone. The judgment was very quick because the Bible says that in that moment, it all came upon him. God has been merciful for 12 months. But now, all of a sudden, he was speaking, but he could not practically finish his self-exaltation. When the judgment was pronounced and everything was fulfilled, he was driven from man. He ate grass like oxen. His body was wet. His hair has, had grown. His nails grew like bird's claws. I don't know how this man... looked like try to imagine he was behaving like animals and of course the question is how how could he survive and how it happened that he his life was preserved they did not kill him although he went mad he became a maniac. We don't exactly know what kind of sickness was this. But as far as I understood, there is a kind of um, psychological change. Something happens to the brain when someone starts believing that he is not human but an animal. So when he went up to the top, all of a sudden he fell down. And so he became like an animal. And I think this is a teach, there is a teaching behind this. Because in Daniel chapter 7, we have no time today to discuss Daniel chapter 7, but if you go to chapter 7 this afternoon, if you have some time, Please read chapter 7. Those empires, the same four world empires, are symbolized by, by beasts. And if you go to the book of Revelation, you will find other beasts symbolizing civil as well as religious powers. Symbolized by beasts. Why? 
When, when people lose their sense of belonging to God, and they switch something in their brain, in their mind, and way of thinking that everything depends on them. All of a sudden, destruction will come. And you probably know the, the verse in Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction. That's exactly what happened to this man. For seven years... And you know why he was not killed in those seven years? Well, I believe God protected his life because he had further plans with this man. But on the other hand, in those times, people believed in spirits. And they said there is something happening in this man's spirit. This is why he went mad. And we should not disturb those spirits. Just let him go. There was the philosophy or belief behind their decision that they did not kill this man. They just let him go. But try to imagine this man who is building hanging gardens, designing, building beautiful buildings, and now he is living out in the, in the, the wild nature, became like a wild animal. But that's, that's not the end. Something happened to him. And so I'd like to read something beginning in verse 34. It says, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing in first person singular. He's writing his own story. He's saying at the end of the time, meaning the years, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven... And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Isn't that what He said at the beginning of His praise? Same thing found in verse 25, which we have read. And so his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? There was quite a discovery for this king, a proud king. And verse 36 and, and 37, it says, At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. 
and excellent majesty was added to me. And a final conclusion he is making. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. There was his great lesson. And of course, if we, if we think about his understanding, he had to lift up his eyes to heaven, first of all, to think about God. And he knew that God, because he said that the Spirit of God is in you, Daniel. So he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, My understanding returned to me. So when we think about God, our understanding would return. And we will understand things that otherwise would not make sense. Then he said, I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever. My reason, verse 36, returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my honor, splendor returned to me. Nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added. Isn't that God great? That how he is leading people? And I, I just want to read something in conclusion. Because Ellen White is, uh, is making some really valuable comments. Um, the same book, Prophets and Kings, page 521. Prophets and Kings, five, page 521. It says, The once proud monarch had become a humble child of God, the tyrannical, overbearing ruler, a wise and compassionate king. He who had defiled and blasphemed the God of heaven now acknowledge the power of the Most High and earnestly sought to promote the fear of Jehovah and the happiness of his subjects. Under the rebuke of him who is King of kings and Lord of lords, Nebuchadnezzar had learned at last the lesson which all rulers need to learn, that true greatness consists in true goodness. And this is a lesson for all of us. True greatness is nothing but true goodness. And finally she says, God's purpose that the greatest kingdom in the world should show forth his praise was now fulfilled. This public proclamation in which Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the mercy and goodness and authority of God was the last act of his life recorded in secret history. He became a humble child of God. Can we suppose or believe that Nebuchadnezzar will be saved? What do you think?
If someone becomes a humble child of God, it means that God's purpose is fulfilled and that person is saved. And I'd like to encourage you to to remember at least two things. One is that God is omnipotent and the king had to acknowledge that. He was not omnipotent, but God was and God is and the, the whole human history serves God's purpose. Second thing is that God's justice will be vindicated at the end of the great controversy because he said something. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And he does according to his will. And finally he said, his works are truth and his ways justice. I think that's what we need to learn from this chapter. And by God's grace, next time, which will be next year, probably because in two weeks we'll have a communion service, So we need to interrupt this study a little bit. But in January, we will come back to this story and learn something from chapter 5 and then 6 of Daniel. But we need to remember something, that God is very patient. He's a patient, loving God. And the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar shows that God has been patient with this king for 43 years. It was a long reign for 43 years. But at the end, God reached the goal he set for this man. And so he was promoting God's, the worship of, of the, of the king of heaven because he said, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. So the king of Babylon said, I extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose ways, works are true, truth and his ways, justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Well, this is my prayer, that our good Lord would teach us through the example of this great king, that God is the real king. He's the king of heaven. He's the King of Kings. Amen.